So, of course, friendly plug, shameless plug, of course, here as we welcome you back into the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and across the Virginia Talk Radio Network. Jefferson Forest Cavalier Football presented by TrostLaw.com. Back tonight, 6.30 p.m., less than an hour, East Coast Wings and Grill Tailgate Show getting you underway for EC Glass. Jefferson Forest at EC Glass. Uh, Two teams that are at the top, along with LCA, of the Seminole District. They figured out ways to win. I've seen it with my own eyes for both these programs in recent years. Something that will probably happen at the end of the broadcast. You have to wait for it to find out. Or you can just use your creative imagination because there is a good probability somebody will be up with the ball and the opponent will have no timeouts. And these high school football coaches, while they're not well paid to the level of college coaches, they are more intelligent than some of them. Could have been Robert and I at UVA and, of course, Bronco Mendenhall, chief of winning there, never intervened and said, oh, we're not going to run the ball late. We'll go ahead and take a knee. I remember seeing it against Carolina a few years ago, actually, where it was a similar situation to the obvious, now everyone knows how stupid it is to run when you can kneel down moment in Miami this past week against Georgia Tech. But, yes, at the end of Jefferson Forest Cavalier football presented by TrostLaw.com, there is a good probability that victory formation will be enacted, and even high school football coaches who are very smart know very well that that is the right play to call as opposed to the just glorified playing tough till the end, even though it's dumb, handing off of the football. So somebody that might be able to put me in my place, somebody who can bear witness this Saturday evening to whether Miami has learned their lesson or not. By the way, you can as well by listening to Game 3 of our triple header because it is Miami, North Carolina. Game 3 of our triple header on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. But somebody who will be there for SaturdayRoad.com, he's a friend of ours, Brett Friedlander. Back with us here in the fast lane. Brett, a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I mean, the, the, the moment is so big, but first of all, you, I'm sure, have seen those Virginia-North Carolina games where Robert and I did the same thing Cristobal did, never got burned by it, but also Bronco Mendenhall never intervened and said, no, we don't run the ball because that's what we do. We take victory formation because that is a 100% probability of winning the football game. How surprised <laughs> are you that this didn't that it took until this past Saturday for something like what Miami did to actually rear its ugliest of heads in college football. Well, the first thing that came to mind when I saw that was Jersey Joe Pizarczyk from probably before you were you were born. The only difference in this one is that, that the play ended up being a fumble, and, and in that particular case, uh, uh, the handoff got botched, and Herman Edwards picked the ball up and ran out all the way back for a touchdown for the Eagles to beat the Giants. But it was nuts. And then, you know, the, the ironic part to the whole thing is the very next day, on the very same field, a Miami team did take a knee to run out the clock when the Dolphins did it to win a game. So it, it, it was astounding, and it is a, it is a soul-crushing, season-changing decision. And, and I'm glad Mario Cristobal is getting held to, to, you know, to task for it because it, it's the kind of coaching move that just is inexcusable. I mean, there, there are a lot of things, you know, judgment calls that you make that you know there are justifications for it, and you can you can explain it away, and you can say, look, I was going with a gut feeling. There's none for this one. This one, you know, it's it's a matter of math, and I know they always say, well, you know, I I wasn't good at math, which is why I'm in in sports, right? But I mean, you can figure out how many seconds are left. You can figure out how many. It, it, it's not that difficult. 
and you've got a chart too, too. I'm, I'm sure over there on the sideline, uh, you, you got to take a knee, and they got what they deserved. And you know, as, as bad as the not taking the knee and the fumble was, how, when you have the opponent, what 44 yards away with 27 seconds left, no timeouts, how do you let a receiver get that wide open behind you? Because it's football karma, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Brett Friedlander, SaturdayRoad.com, Be Freed ACC, although think Be Fried ACC, to keep up with him on Twitter. He's with us here in the fast lane. Brett, there is a logical bounce back, and, and we'll go ahead and just delve into Miami, North Carolina, before getting to game two of our triple header, which is Wake Forest at Virginia Tech on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app in a moment. But Miami, how do you psychologically bounce back from that as a program? Well, there are two ways that you can do this. First of all, you go out and you play the best game of the season. Uh, the second is that you, you just let this define your season and you just go through the motions. Now, bouncing back and playing the best game of the season is not necessarily a recipe for winning because they're going to Chapel Hill you know, against a team that keeps adding offensive weapons and is still getting better even though they just scored 40 points and, and, and rolled up 644 yards last week against Syracuse. And it's playing defense at a level that, while still not elite, is good enough with that offense, and, and you know, you're know you playing on the road. And so I, I, I think that it's a very tough task. I, I, I don't envy Mario and his staff and his players because uh, – while I think that they will bounce back and play a pretty good game, I don't know that, that it's going to be enough to, to go to Chapel Hill and win. It's a good point because North Carolina played their most complete game against Syracuse last week. Now they battle Miami in game three of our CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Triple header this coming Saturday evening as Brett Friedlander of SaturdayRoad.com is discussing college football with us, particularly an ACC slant here in the fast lane. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and out myself once again because of our votes of confidence earlier. Um, Drake May, dark horse for the Heisman, 16-1, to 18-1 to 1 odds right now. To me, it seems like good value. Heck, I can make a case Carolina to the college football playoff at 14-1. to 1. Seems like a possibility. Um, you know, They've got a great roster construction in there as well, and their defense is playing better, not to mention a, a high-end, once-in-a-generation quarterback that can help elevate a team. Am I off base in thinking those things could happen, or do you see a path? Not at all. I mean, you're you're right on target. I'm I'm right there with you. First of all, Drake May was a was a very low odds um, uh, Heisman favorite before the season started. Well, he got off to a slow start for a couple of reasons. First of all, their new uh, their new uh, offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey uh, came in with the with the mandate to improve the running game. You know, he has. Now, Marianne Hampton is the second-leading rusher in the ACC. The other thing is, the first two games of the season, Drake didn't have his two best receivers. Nate McCollum was injured, and Tez uh, Walker was, was not eligible. Well, McCollum comes back against Minnesota, catches 15 passes, and oh, by the way, Drake throws for 400 yards. Well, this week, Tez Walker's back, and he throws for 420-something uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you're seeing now Drake May with all his weapons, and and I think the numbers are going to continue to get better. And so uh, the other thing about the Heisman race is something that Mac Brown said at Football uh, Media Day in Charlotte back in July. The best way to, you know, to, to further your Heisman chances is to be on a team that wins. And right now, North Carolina, if they can beat Miami on Saturday – 
the path is absolutely clear for them to go into the last three games of the, of the season 9-0. and and Those last three games are at home against Duke, at Clemson, and at NC State. And, you know, you look at Clemson right now, uh, Florida State has solved the riddle of winning at, at Death Valley. It is a flawed Clemson team. Uh, they turn the ball over way too much. Their kicking game is a mess. So it's a winnable game. So, yeah, I mean, and then you go to the ACC championship against Florida State, and the winner there is going to the playoffs. I love it. Validation, confirmation bias, it's all being fueled by Brett Friedlander of SaturdayRoad.com straight to us here in the fast lane. Brett, um, a different kind of confirmation bias. That is... Oh, Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. The game that is game two of our triple header tomorrow. I'll be there for the fast lane in the Virginia Talk Radio Network after running the Salem 8K, part of the Salem Half Marathon, tomorrow morning. And, uh, you know, on paper, it looks like this is a game where Virginia Tech struggles uh, with gap assignments and run defense, and the slow mesh doesn't seem like the best antidote to that problem. But Mitch Griffiths and Wake Forest have had turnover challenges when they've been pressured, and if you get to that point, Tech does have the secondary to exploit it. Therefore, is it reasonable to say that the odds makers have this right, that this is a toss-up matchup because of the different ways this one could go? Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, it, you look at the schedule and you say, hey, man, it's Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. This is a very important game because I think the winner of this game is has a legitimate shot at six wins to get the bowl eligibility. The loser is really, you know, it's not out of a question, but it becomes a, a really, really tough hill to climb, especially Virginia Tech uh, at, at this point. Um, Wake Forest has one more win uh, in, in the bank already. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I really think this is going to be an interesting game because, you know, you've got two teams that, that struggle on both sides of the ball, so you don't know if this is going to be one of those nothing-to-nothing games from, you know, way back when, or if this is going to be a 50-48 to game. Um, I, I think the key here is if Wake Forest can avoid uh, turning the ball over. If, if Wake Forest protects the ball, I think Wake Forest is going to win this. Um, Mitch Griffiths has really um, struggled. The, he does not run the, the, the slow mesh offense in any way, shape, or form with the same kind of depthness that, uh, that Sam Hartman did. Um, and, and he's even been criticized by his own coach, Dave Clawson, for holding on to the ball too long. Wake Forest has given up 22 sacks already. I believe that's the most in the ACC and the third most in the country. And, and like you said, when he gets under pressure, he makes mistakes, and he's been under pressure a lot. So it's not just Mitch Griffiths. It's their offensive line as well. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you're starting to see from Virginia Tech, you're starting to see a little bit of a, an identity offensively. It's, it's interesting how, how sometimes when injuries happen, it's, it's, it's basically the doom of a team. And sometimes when injuries happen, it ends up <laughs> – I hate to say this, but benefiting, and and I think that Virginia Tech is is better with Kyron Drones and the uh, Kyron Drones and the in, 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 in as quarterback, because you can see that dual threat, you know, capability. Um, uh, Brayshaw Putin is now really kind of emerging as, as as a running back, and and if if they can get their their receiving core healthy again, I I, I think they have a chance to be pretty good offensively. Um, so. I, I I don't know what to make of this game, but I think that and this is going to go back to you know old school cliche coaching you know speak. But 
whoever whoever makes the most mistakes can lose this game, and whoever protects the ball better, I think, wins. I love it. Coaching cliches. It's only in the fast lane from Brett Friedlander, <laughs> not at SaturdayRoad.com or at BeFreedACC is where he can be found regularly spouting more wisdom than the cliches. Brett, Virginia Tech, is this a crux point game for them? Just because it is basically a toss-up, it's at home, and a loss puts them really behind the eight ball, whereas a win, given the schedule where outside of a trip to Louisville, it's very navigable, they could get to a bowl game, which would be a nice step in year two for a team that still really is a lot of pieces away. And has had a lot of injuries, too. So, uh, yeah, but I, I absolutely think so. Uh, it can be one of those games. And I think I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think they play their next three on the road. Is that correct? Uh, and they have not been very good yeah. on the road. Uh, and so I, I, I think if you really have any shot at winning six, you got to take care of your home game. And so, uh, uh, I, and, and again, a, a team that is on your level, this is a toss-up game, uh, you, you have to win this. I, I think this is a, a must-win for Virginia Tech. In terms of um, uh, getting to a bowl, uh, I, I think that in the big picture, uh, I, I think you can start to see Brent Pry and, and his personality and his, and his philosophy starting to take over. And, and a lot of times it doesn't really happen until year three. I mean, look at what Wake Forest did. Dave Clawson came in his first two years. He was three and nine. Uh, year three, I believe they went six and six, went to a bowl, and then kind of took off from there. Um, and so uh, yeah, you, you have to build. And, and you can build faster now with the transfer portal, but it, it takes time, especially where Virginia Tech's uh, program was when Pride took over. But, but I think that this is a – a big game in the context of where they are and what they can do in year two. Brett, we've touched on Virginia and the nebulous elements of football within this team. The Virginia Cavaliers are on the bye, so we're going to take a bye week from discussing them. But we will step back a little bit further. Um, it's interesting. You know, I've seen you bring this up. I've seen others as well that – College basketball is viewed as the savior for at least the Commonwealth schools in the conference and maybe the conference's reputation as a whole. Yet, when they add Stanford, Cal, and SMU, doesn't seem like they're adding much there. There's obviously not much in terms of a football brand for it. Uh, you know, the more you look at it, the more you're just finding that these additions are just designed to pave the way for somebody to be there when Clemson, Florida State, and others leave? Or, you know, is the ACC once again going about expansion in maybe the not exactly the correct manner? Yeah, I think it's the latter of the two because I, I think that nobody's leaving. I, I think that the fact that these teams came in and the fact that there's a seven-year window where SMU is not going to take any, any revenue uh, from, the, from the broadcast rights uh, and, uh, and, and that both the California teams are going to take uh, a lesser share, I, I think that seven-year um, figure is important because I think that's kind of, the window as to how long the ACC has to figure things out before people start, you know, talking about leaving again. Um, but I, I, I just think that uh, they they expanded for the sake of expanding and and whatever extra revenue that would bring in. Because uh, when you look at basketball in particular, I saw somewhere online yesterday where bringing in uh, uh, Stanford and Cal. Uh, the ACC now has five of the bottom eight um, teams in the net rankings uh, among Power Five uh, uh, conferences 
from last season. So you've basically watered down a, a product that has already been watered down. And it used to be the ACC's identity, basketball, right? ACC, Ralph Sampson and Michael Jordan and, and David Thompson. I mean, it's, it, and, and now it's just kind of a, 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 an afterthought. And it's really sad. And uh, I just don't get it. And, you know, I mean, it, all it says to me now is that um, after two straight years where you had teams that had double-figure ACC wins and um, winning and 20 wins and did not make it to the NCAA tournament, being that being Wake Forest in 2022 and, uh, um, and uh, Clemson this year, it's going to put even more of an emphasis on non-conference uh, scheduling. And, you know, you're going to have to get rid of those paid, you know, those, those guarantee games. You're going to have to really bulk up your schedule because the conference schedule is not going to help you a lot. It's a boutique conference, baby. They've always seemingly gone after that mindset as opposed to thinking much bigger and what actually resonates with fans. Uh, we'll leave it on this, Brett. Would they have benefited more from adding a school? I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say to some, but, I mean, JMU and Liberty are the two best schools in the Commonwealth in terms of football. They both have passionate fan bases. With the ACC, might as well. Should they have just added those schools because at least the fans would have cared and it would have made for something more fun regionally as opposed to Stanford, Cal, and SMU with Stanford and Cal in particular having no real fan support, no real geographic ties, and not really any connection at all? And it would have added to the to the competitive. Uh, nature of the uh, pro- of the uh, conference as well, because those teams would have come in and been competitive, not just in football, but everything else. And <laughs> to be honest with you, I would have thrown Appalachian State in there as well. I mean, if you want to add three teams, there you go: JMU, Liberty, and App State. And uh, you know, but the problem is uh, SMU brings in Texas. Uh, the two California teams bring in California, and the ACC network and carriage fees. And, you know, and, and subscribers and eyeballs, and that's what it's all about. It's not about competition anymore. It's about uh, uh, demographics. It's about geography. It's about touching money. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fact of life, unfortunately. In a perfect world, I, I think that those schools would have been a much better fit, especially geographically. But that's not a perfect world anymore, especially in college athletics. You said it well, and people could go on forever about how imperfect the world of college sports is. There's still elements, though, that we love and appreciate, and that's the best part of getting to chat with someone like Brett Friedlander of SaturdayRoad.com. Brett, thank you for your time in the fast lane today. Much appreciated. Enjoy Chapel Hill and the inevitable kneel downs that hopefully will come from whoever is winning at the end. You know, wouldn't it be ironic if it was Miami that had to do it? We'll have to see, and uh, we will see you in Charlotte here in a couple of weeks. Indeed. Looking forward to it. It's a little less than two weeks before Brett Friedlander and I reunite for ACC Basketball Media Days. In the meantime, we appreciate Brett's time in the Fast Lane. We appreciate yours as well. Trey Lyle VT, Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back. Monday afternoon, 5 to 6 p.m. Keep it locked to the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg page for details on our college football triple header Saturday and our NFL quadruple header on Sunday. Plus, JF Cavalier football presented by TrostLaw.com, 6.30 p.m. East Coast Wings and Grill Tailgate Show on 100.9 in the Virginia's Talk Station app.